0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, for this uh, final gathering of this class, Lord, for those of us who've been here all four weeks and any just joining us today, I give you uh, thanks. Continue to, to work in our hearts and minds um, that we uh, ultimately might trust in you more dearly so that we could stand firm in the f- faith, even in the midst of challenges. We uh, pray these things by the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again uh, to everybody. If you've s- stuck with this the, the whole month or if you're just joining today, uh, this should stand alone enough that you'll get something out of it. Uh, two of the last three classes were recorded properly. I've messed up the recording on the first one, um, but uh, if you'd like to go back and listen to those, it'll set a, a bit of a context for why we're here now. Um, and uh, if you, if you need, I do have a handout from each of the lessons uh, if you've missed a class. I'm happy to send you the uh, file of that. Um, it was part of my, uh, this summer I spent three months, now this is sort of the capstone of it, thinking about apologetics with a, some sabbatical in the in the middle. Um, and my goals were to produce uh, documents on the classes that I was going to teach, partly for myself. So a little bit unusual, but uh, for me to do some writing like this and also give it out in the class. But... I'm hoping that's helpful to you uh, as a reference to go back to. So there, if, if you haven't picked up, the, the main one for today is called Apologetics of the Cross. is over there if anybody wants to pass it around. The one that I've had every lesson, you don't need to pick up a second copy if you already got it, is called Apologetics as Evangelism, Some Basic Rules of Engagement. Also, uh, Millie's going to start around the clipboard. Uh, if you haven't been able to s- sign that yet, uh, this is a sign-up sheet only, only if you are interested in future opportunities uh, for training, specifically in the topic of evangelism. Uh, if you're not interested, no sweat, just pass it on. If you've already signed it up, it's the same sheet, so no, no need to put your name down there twice. Um, okay, so... Uh, the the main thing uh, that I'm, I'm getting at here uh, with apologetics is that it uh, is an aspect of the, the concept of evangelism because especially in our day, I'm repeating myself if you've been here, and I'm saying this over and over again because I think that these things are very important to keep in mind, uh, that especially in our day and increasingly so as the Western world becomes actually a missional context, a missionary context, We have got to be acquainted with a a, a response when people challenge the the perplexing things that we say. As Paul says, these things are a stumbling block to some, uh, the things that we say about the gospel. And so a lot of people are just not going to instantaneously respond to the gospel with conversion. They'll have questions. And so apologetics allows us to uh, more comfortably and confidently uh, respond uh, to the questions. Um, and I has, have said all along, but especially emphasize the last two classes that with apologetics, I think it 's important to center all of our our thinking and response around the resurrection. Feel free to, to file in there There are several uh, chairs here if anybody 's willing to scoot down so folks can uh, can, um, can f- don 't have to stand that 'd be great um, but uh, to uh, to center our thinking around the resurrection. Um, and part of that is so that we're, we're proclaiming the gospel, but also apologetically it's the strongest point um, to think about the resurrection, uh, that uh, if Jesus Christ did what he said he would do, uh, he is who he said he was, and he's, he's accomplished what he said he would accomplish for us, namely salvation, uh, forgiveness of sins, redemption, uh, eternal restoration, and that he will come back again and make everything right? And he is God and therefore everything he says must be true. Um, As he says, I am the way and the truth. By the way, I just put up a thing last uh, week on the internet on the Mockingbird website, if you ever see that, on Rudy Giuliani's comments last Sunday about truth isn't truth um, because I think it's an important thing to respond to. Try to be as nonpartisan as possible. Um, Whoever is saying truth isn't truth, I'm going to disagree with that even if it's my wife. Um, so, um, so anyway, that he's the truth. And so everything he says must be true, including his understanding of history, the Bible, Scripture, and where things are going. Um, nonetheless, when we provide really good case, evidentially, uh, and there used to be prior generations in particular, um, I feel like when I s- speak to you older guys, for example, um, you, you really love that stuff—the the sort of tough-minded, evidential, um, you know, case. Uh, especially those of you who are lawyers, it really speaks to you. Not everybody's like that. So when they hear the evidence, especially in our sort of um, what's called the post, becoming a postmodern era, I don't think we'll ever entirely become postmodern because traffic lights would be meaningless if we're postmodern. <laughs> Everybody would ignore it and drive the wrong way down the freeway, and then you would realize like. There have to be regulations for things in life, but people still kind of think like there are no such things as truth or history or evidence that it's sort of my truth and your truth and we're just making it up. And so when we come to them with the story about the resurrection, often they're thinking, well, that's your truth, but my truth is different. Even when we're providing solid evidence because it's so a, a different way of thinking than often people speak nowadays. So they're going to respond with perplexity statistically the most uh, common response or argument against belief in God in general and especially the Christian God is what's called the problem of evil Um, and so that's what I'm talking about today Um, and uh, so that's a lot of what the introduction there on the handout is about and here's the statement of the problem of evil people have stated it in different ways but here's a kind of um, philosophical uh, statement of the problem of evil That's the italics there, about a third down under introduction. Uh, If an all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly good God exists, there would be no evil in the world. There obviously is evil in the world, therefore God does not exist. Um, The person speaking with you won't state it like that, okay? Unless they've majored in philosophy in college or something and we're really taken by this. Uh, um, but they'll say something to that effect, won't they? You've probably heard people talk this way, am I, am I wrong? That, that somebody's probably, s- in the course of your life, spoken to you this way, or you've seen it uh, in media or, or read something like it, they'll, they'll probably say something like, I can't believe God exists because uh, you know hurricanes or whatever, right? You know, they'll say, look at uh, Hurricane Maria, or, or they'll point to something like that. Um, and uh, so it's important because this is the, the statistically one of the most common responses to be acquainted with this. And that's really where the, the kind of apologetic task really starts here is these responses. I mean, I've talked about the resurrection and that being the central to everything. There are other responses that people will give us uh, with perplexity. This is just one example. Um, and so uh, here's the thing, though, is that Christianity actually has a really good response to the problem of evil. Where you could say the problem of pain or suffering, however you want to articulate it. Um, Other uh, religions, not so good. Uh, For example, Christian science actually believes that evil doesn't exist Um, and that's why you just need to pray instead of going to the doctor and things like this, right? Or Eastern religions will talk about how similarly evil is an illusion that we need to escape or sort of new-agey thinking, even though they might not know it, clearly that's kind of what they're saying, that we need to learn a spirituality that will help us to escape pain and suffering and evil. And that's what um, the sort of ultimate uh, destination is, is to be free from that illusion of evil. Or Or if there is evil and suffering, that it's maybe not a punishment, because if you have a sort of pantheistic kind of belief, meaning everything is God, you don't believe that there's any sort of person to punish you, but that the evil that you're experiencing is a sort of a necessary outcome of you not living life correctly. That's kind of what reincarnation is and, and karma and all that. By the way, please don't ever try to uh, reconcile any of those thoughts with Christianity. <laughs> I've had those conversations also that, you know, well, can't we believe in reincarnation too? No, <laughs> that's not what we talk about. Uh Um, And and usually when you hear the story of reincarnation, when Americans who are kind of silly about it talk about, uh, they kind of glorify it, but when Easterners who really believe in this stuff, they talk about it as this really painful thing, that you'll come back uh, like as a snail or something, right? Um, They they don't talk about like in a past life, I was, you know, George Washington or whatever, like people um, will say silly things like that. Um, but Christianity, on the other hand, uh, does have a response, and the Bible throughout is, is dealing with evil, and, uh, uh, and that's why I put at the top that Isaiah quote. We have a God that that um, that enters into suffering and deals with the evil, and we have a hope ahead where evil will be finally uh, dealt with. Well. Um, uh, again what a what's unique to being a westerner and and, and thinking about our response to this now typically um, <clears throat> when people talk about evil they'll do one of two things and I'm not going to do that today because I don't want to emphasize the one of those two things that people typically do I want to emphasize something else what I'm calling a Christ-centered response to, to evil usually what people will do is try to explain the evil in the world away and that's called a theodicy have you heard that before to give an explanation of why a sort of philosophical explanation that's probably decontextualized from the bible of how evil can exist in the world and there's some really good thinkers who've done some really great work there Uh, if you're interested in that sort of stuff look up this guy named alvin plantinga i mean he has basically uh he's sort of closed the case in philosophy of religion Showing, demonstrating that that this problem of evil is it, that that God can exist while there's still evil in the world uh, and sort of allowed philosophers to kind of move on a little bit from, from that conundrum. So know that it's been dealt with in the field of philosophy, um, but I, I'm not interested in that because the person that you're typically talking to isn't going to want a theodicy, and you're probably not going to feel like you're able to provide a philosophical theodicy, or the other way is a defense, a, 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 a sort of response to someone's argument uh, against God using the, the problem of evil, very similar. Instead, uh, I want to give a Christ-centered response. And here's one of the reasons why. Um, in, in the in the West, um, we have a sort of therapeutic mindset. And this is what's up starting at the bottom of, of page one. And we have a cultural bias um, that um, might not exist uh, as much previously in prior generations or in other cultures around the world, sort of non-Western cultures. We're therapeutic people, um, and I even point out that this is in the Declaration of Independence, that we want the pursuit of happiness. That's a a sort of self-evident, unalienable right that we um, stand up for. And so therefore, when we experience discomfort, we feel like our, our rights are being um, sort of trampled upon. Also, similarly, I mentioned a sociologist a few weeks ago who did a long um, study in the early 2000s with American teenagers. Remember that, Christian Smith? And he, through you know, crunching the data of the of his research, um, he and his co-research came, co-researchers came up with a sort of um, operating creed of American spirituality. Nobody says they have this creed, but uh, there are five kind of points that seem to be pretty common across the board in American spirituality. And one of them is this, that's at the bottom of page one and going on to page two, is that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Um, And so therefore, if this is a real uh, religious value that people have, or just a value in general, whether it's spiritualized or not, um, we therefore become confused when we're sad uh, or someone we know is sad or we or someone we know is experiencing pain. And ultimately the kicker is we're all going to die, okay? Uh, the statistics are in at pretty much 100%, except for like Enoch who was taken up. But, um, but uh, 99 point something to something percent, we're all going to die, right? Uh, and so uh, and, and, and deep down we understand this. No matter how much we try to sanitize death and hide it, which is a, I think a problem actually, that so many people, most of the people we know are, are dying in cloistered hospital beds and we don't experience that. Um, and so we try to, we anesthetize a lot of the discomfort in our world and death is one of them, but still deep down we know that it's up ahead. Um, but, but here's the thing, this is a, this is a Western problem. And I think that one of the things we can do to respond simply, I'll just throw this out there. This is not part of the Christ-centered response. I'll get to that. It's just to point that out that uh, you, you, know, you raising this concern, could that possibly be coming from a place of cultural bias? Because non-Westerners find it, uh, the, the problem of evil less perplexing and find the problem of the gospel more perplexing, which says that there's a God who forgives people without punishing um, a lot of uh, non-Western people when thinking about that find that unjust uh, and so the, that's a real stumbling block for a lot of people uh, in the same way that evil might be for, for Westerners. Do you see the cultural bias there? That that actually can be a helpful thing to, to point out to someone. Well here's, here's, so related to that, flowing out of what I've just said about being therapeutic people, that there's a intellectual problem of evil and a sort of emotional or a psychological problem. I've mostly talked a little bit about the intellectual. That's the kind of philosophical syllogism that I gave you at the beginning. Of if there is a, you know, a good God um, and, and uh, he wouldn't allow evil to exist, there is evil in the world, um, therefore there is no God. That's an intellectual approach to the problem of evil. But most of the people we talk to aren't going to be thinking or rationalizing on those grounds. It will be a psychological problem. Rather than really, even if they say something like, why do, um, um, why do bad things happen to good people? Even if they say something like that, I think really behind the question behind the question is, why do bad things happen to me? Why do bad things happen to the people that I love? Why do, peop- why do bad things uh, continue to happen to me, you know? that even if they're, they're stating it in an intellectual abstract way, that, that deep down that's the real question. And so rather than like kind of assuming that and pressing into it, I, th- I think it's more subtly helpful to kind of get at that though. Like to say something like, well, um, why, do you, why do you ask that question? You know, what, uh, what's your experience with that or something? And to go there, um, because this does one of uh, two things for us. Um, it allows us to, therefore, kind of preach the gospel to that place in their life with the Christ-centered approach that I'm going to give you in a minute. Or, important, uh, equally, of equal importance, if someone has acutely experienced some tremendous pain like last week or yesterday, probably not a good time to engage in some intellectual debate over this, okay? <laughs> like, imagine someone just had a miscarriage on Wednesday, not a good time to, like, engage in this, some philosophical, intellectual debate about the problem of evil. What's more important right now is for you to, uh, to as a companion in life, to enter their suffering with a sort of arm around them and tears of sorrow, you know. And, and by the way, Christ did that for us. So I think that is a Christian response. And then maybe there's a more opportune time to have a kind of more... Um, um, robust discussion about the problem with the evil of this person. But say they haven't experienced pain just like Wednesday. Maybe um, maybe like, yeah, I don't know if you know this, my in-laws, uh, I mentioned Maria. Was Maria the one that was in Puerto Rico? My parents were living in, my, well, not my parents, my, my, um, my parents-in-law were living in Puerto Rico during Maria. And my wife and I, uh, especially led by my wife, engaged in a sort of rescue operation with them, including hiring a charter jet to get them off the island in the aftermath of this, right? And so, you know, that was like a year ago, and so now we're ready to have a sort of problem of evil discussion with my parents-in-law, but probably not last fall. <laughs> um, and so say you're at that point uh, where someone is now, it's its a little bit removed, the pain. What can we do that's, that's more helpful? Um, that uh, I think we ought to um, respond uh, in helping them understand the Christian understanding of, of pain and who Jesus Christ is and and what He's done. Um, and a lot of people, when engaging in apologi- apologetics, don't do this. Unfortunately, don't ever. They, maybe they try to aim to get there, but I feel like they're not getting there. Um, but to try to do this um, out of the gates is to uh, always. Uh, um, uh, be uh, pointing people back to uh, emphasizing Jesus Christ in our, our response. And, um, and so I've put down there sort of toward the bottom of page two that um, uh, if we uh, recognize that A, concerns about evil are predominantly psychological, not intellectual, and B, we are always trying to point people back to the resurrection, when we sh- uh, then we should emphasize Jesus Christ in our response. In other words, with respect to the problem of evil, we ought to be apologists of the cross Speaking through weakness, and not apologists of glory, depending on our perceived theological or philosophical strength. And this should be helpful to hear—that you know, like uh, that you don't need to be a, a sort of a heavy-duty intellectual um, to respond to this stuff. But um, to to help people see the work of the cross, and to kind of enter that place yourself, in terms of responding as a co-sufferer someone who's speaking out of their own place of weakness and not trying to sort of theologically strong-arm them into a belief uh, in God that, uh, who could coexist with evil in the world. Um, so the main point of a Christ-centered response is that Christianity is, is unique and that God became completely human to enter the world of evil and experience suffering in the person of Jesus Christ. Unlike all other religions, God is not a distant spectator or, of, of suffering, but a participant in it. And His resurrection provides hope for restoration beyond, beyond this life of evil and suffering. Christianity, therefore, says that uh, says the goodness of God will finally overcome the evils we experience in this life. And so that's sort of the the the, the main point of having a, um, a Christ-centered response of who Jesus is uh, that God has entered the world of evil and not remained distant from it and experienced the most acute ex- uh, uh, experience of suffering ever in this world. The evil was placed upon him. and uh, that this is a, a part of the gospel. It's the thing that gives us hope. Um, our salvation is, is found in His suffering. And and he, he uh, defeated uh, death even uh, in his resurrection. And uh, yes, there's still evil in this world, but we know from Jesus that he's going to come back and deal with it finally uh, in both heaven and on earth uh, and that there will be a restored heaven and earth. So here are some uh, quotes from some thinkers who've said very similar things, probably more articulate than I have, some Christian thinkers, that I think were helpful for sort of tapping into what I'm saying here, to, to channel this when when responding to someone's um, um, perplexity over evil. This top one is from a guy named John Polkinghorne who was a physicist, uh, still is, uh, but then uh, midlife career became an Anglican minister, ordained, but also was a, was a scientist uh, professionally. He said, uh, One of my main reasons for being a Christian is that Christianity speaks to the problem of suffering at the deepest possible level. The Christian God is not just a compassionate spectator looking down in pity on the bitterness of the strange world that God has made. We believe that the Creator has been a fellow participant in the world's suffering, that God knows it from the inside and does not just sympathize with it from the outside. This is one of the meaning, uh, meanings of the cross of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed by the Nazis while in prison, he was a Christian pastor, um, wrote uh, from his letters while he was in prison this, It is not uh, by his omnipotence that Christ helps us, but by his weakness and suffering. This is the decisive difference between Christianity and all religions. Man's religiosity makes him look in his distress to the power of God and the world, he uses God as a Deus ex machina, which like means uh, um, um, it's kind of like the sort of deistic sort of understanding of uh, like in the MTD that you know calling upon God when you need him. Um, but that's that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible, however, directs us to the uh, powerlessness and suffering of God. Only a suffering God can help. That's a powerful quote. Only a suffering God can help. Mother Teresa In light I mean this is somebody who lived in the slums in India most of her life working with the really the poorest of the poor. In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth, will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Think about that though, just mathematically. I was talking to somebody about this last week. The average lifespan these days is eighty something years, I think, right? And no matter how to, I'm not not to minimize it, but no matter how torturous that life is, when you think of it from an eternal perspective, moving forward to a life with God, it's like a footnote, you know, um, to to what we will experience uh, in the kingdom. Um, and so, finally, Martin Luther. This might be the most difficult um, excerpt from a, something to understand here, but this is the. Um, Sort of theology behind why I say we need to be apologists of the cross and not apologists of glory. In his Heidelberg Disputation, is um, you know the the father of the Reformation we talked about all last year. If you were here, in 1518, a year after he nailed the 95 Theses to the church door wall, gave this Disputation in Heidelberg, which was a real good distillation of, of Protestant Reformation theology. Uh, 28 theses, I think, that are very terse. They're very difficult to understand. These are my three favorite. Although the works of man always seem attractive and good, they are nevertheless likely to be mortal sins. Although the works of God are always unattractive and appear evil, I mean, think of Isaiah 53 that I quoted earlier, there are nevertheless really eternal merits. A theology of glory calls evil good, and good evil. The theology of the cross calls a thing what it actually is. What he's trying to say here is that we, I mean, Andrew said something quite similar in uh, his sermon if you're there at the uh, nine o'clock in the nave and gonna be there at 11, that we have a difficult time understanding the way this world works from God's perspective. That things might have more meaning uh, to them than what we perceive. So therefore things that um, appear to be painful and evil and cause us short-term suffering might actually from an eternal perspective have some merit to them uh, and be good things. And sometimes the things that we point to as values and good um, that we're optimistic and and, um, sentimental about might actually be evil. Um, And so therefore uh, we uh, don't always understand the way the world works uh, without uh, God's perspective. And so Uh, A theology of the cross one that understands suffering and enters suffering instead of being confused about what things are call them what they are so therefore saying you know the 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 suffering that we're experiencing in in this life is actually uh, no matter how bad it is it could be really terrible is actually a a short-term thing and we have a much greater reward up ahead now a lot of people don't like to hear that but that's being a, a theologian of the cross a, an apologist of the cross it's calling a thing what it is even though people might not like to hear it uh, because we're, we're not used to talking and, and thinking that way um, so and then just to conclude my thoughts before we open it to discussion that again like i said in the beginning suffering and evil and pain are throughout the entire bible the bible does not ignore this Uh, And uh, it could be helpful sometimes to just read the Bible with people and to point these things out. There's a whole genre in the Bible called Lamentation. There's a book called Lamentations. There are Psalms, there's a category of Psalms called Psalms of Lament. One of my favorite ones because it's easy to remember is Psalm 13, the unlucky Psalm number 13, <laughs> is a Psalm of lament. Uh, you know, oh, oh, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Um, is one of the lines, and I've read that to people in the, Bible, in the in the hospital sometimes when they're kind of lamenting. You know, that's one of the, tr- the sort of pastoral tricks that we learn about going to the hospitals to try to understand where people are emotionally and to enter where they are, I mean, Kevin's a professional chaplain, He hopefully he could attest to this, that if they're in pain, you don't kind of come in and be like, hey, mind if we have a chat? Sometimes people do this, and the person in pain says, no, leave my room. Uh, But if they're really in a lot of emotional pain uh, and lamenting, I might say, you know, the Bible actually says similar things, that there's a whole history of people shouting out to God in the same way that you are. Can I read one of those with you, Psalm 13? And they'll say, that's actually in the Bible? I didn't know that. Um, And and that can actually be comforting to someone, to see that the Bible doesn't sort of sweep this under the rug, but is constantly uh, addressing um, suffering. And then just for our sakes, the final page, there are some passages from the New Testament which really talks about Christians and suffering. Um, And I think this is helpful to hear too because we almost need an apologetic for ourselves because we we experience doubt too, even as believers. And to see that the New Testament responds to our doubts if if they have anything to do with the, the evil in the world Uh, we could see things like these passages uh, from Paul and Peter and then finally in in Revelation, which Revelation might be super helpful for anybody, but that the Christian life is not going to be uh, pain-free. Actually, Jesus said things might get worse for you as a result. I mean, guaranteed they're, they're going to get worse for you um but so uh so that the bible talks about that again helping us to see that uh th- this is a, a a part of the christian life it's a short-term thing and we have an eternal reward and god might actually be at work in our suffering which i think is helpful to hear too that, that god isn't sort of outside of my suffering that he's he might be maybe he didn't cause the particular pain that i'm experiencing but the pain that I'm going through, God can enter that and redeem it and use it for his ends. Um, and then revelation, helpful for all of us, all of us to hear. This is the note that the Bible ends on. You know, the same Bible that ended that began with uh, evil coming in the world uh, in the third chapter. And then you see the first murder in the fourth chapter. In the penultimate chapter of the Bible, the second to last, we hear these words, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Um, uh, I think these are the places we ought to go with people when they bring up pain and suffering, especially if they're responding to our proclamation of the Christian gospel and not to get too lost in the weeds of the, um, the trying to philosophize. Because most of us are amateur philosophers. So we'll, I am too. We'll, we'll, um, we're, we're on unsteady ground there unless we do a lot of thinking. But, but uh, therefore, when we're responding to pain, we're still proclaiming the gospel. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, we're, we're still a, 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 a evangelizing uh, in, in our apologetic. And so it turns out that the most common negative response to the gospel could potentially be one of the most helpful things to talk about Uh, in that uh, it helps people to see uh, what the cross is all about and and how God continues to be at work in suffering and that we do have hope that there is a day ahead when there will be no more evil, there will be no more pain. God's going to, to deal with it Uh, Full stop, finally. Any uh, responses, questions to anything from today or the last few weeks? Yeah, Millie. Um, I still don't feel like I would be equipped to answer someone who said, why does God allow suffering, pain, natural disasters in the first place? I understand how we we deal with it. I would be surprised if even after these four lectures that you've felt super equipped um, this is a I mean I wish but this is a kind of a primer so I hope if you've been coming for four weeks that this whets your appetite to continue to to engage with this stuff and to see that we do have really solid responses to these things and there have been people thinking about this for a long time there are plenty of really good resources uh, out there and again to come back to like say for example someone says well you know well why are there natural disasters if you feel like you don't have a good answer don't make it up okay and it's okay that's why i'm saying it's helpful to think about yourself as a as a theolo- you're all theologians cause theology just means somebody thinking about god so as soon as you start thinking about god you're a theologian okay To think of yourself as a theologian of the the cross, meaning to have a response in a place of weakness. This world tells us to be strong all the time. It's an American value. And so it can be a huge mind shift for us to enter a place of weakness, which includes saying things to people like, that's a very good point, and I know a lot of people raise that, and I wish I had a better response, but I just don't know right now. And I would love to think about this together with you. Maybe we could um, look at a very short book together, not a long one, or some passages in the Bible. So I think that that, I hope that's helpful to, to not have to feel like you've got to have a canned, memorized response to every possible chess move in the, the world of, of skepticism. Yeah. Can you say something like, well, we're in the not yet? You know, this is not heaven sure yeah I mean, this is the it is. yeah well here's a theological response that we understand that sin entering the world Paul talks about this in Romans it, it, and, and actually you, you see this in places like uh, in, in Genesis chapter 3 and 4 that when the fall happened what did Paul what did Paul what did, what did uh, God tell Adam you're gonna have a lot of difficulty with the earth. And then in chapter 4, uh, uh, with Cain and Abel, the, 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 the blood from the ground speaks a word of uh, condemnation. Uh, the earth is wrapped up in it. All, all creation has, a, has been affected by sin also. It's not just a human problem. It's become a universal problem. And Paul talks about this in Romans, that the creation uh, groans um, for restoration. Um, and so, yes, what did you say? That we live in the not yet. Yeah. So, we still live in a world that has been affected by, by sin, by the fall. And, and that includes things like uh, natural disasters that kill a lot of people and earthquakes. You know, I lived through the 1989 earthquake in San Francisco. Craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Was anybody there? Have you heard about it? <laughs> I mean, I, I like I was watching the World Series on television, uh, eating a bowl of minestrone soup. <laughs> Never forget that, you know, yeah. because it was such a. I mean, and, and the Earth shook in a way that I like. I can't even explain to you. Um, and, and and that is a part of the the being and the not yet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah statement on page one, the central goal of life is to be happy to is that a Western value talk not a Christian value? Absolutely, that is not a Christian, that's what I'm trying to say, I hope that's clear, that is not a Christian value, that some sociologists through their research with thousands of American teenagers who basically are parroting back what they've heard from their parents their peers and popular media one of the five kind of common uh, principles of their spirituality was this one that the central goal of life is is to be happy that God just wants me to be happy you know don't worry be happy Uh, this is the sort of pop culture uh, um, bumper sticker uh, line you know Um, but it definitely is not but again back to that 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 makes the the problem of evil uh, even more of a conundrum for westerners for Americans in particular because um, we, we, we're, we don't like discomfort, we don't like unhappiness, and we feel like when it happens that our rights are being infringed upon and some, something, somebody needs to solve the problem right now. What can I buy to solve this problem? Is usually, you know, who can I pay to solve this problem is the sort of American-Western response. I need my leisure and my comfort, leave me alone. This is is a real problem for me. I mean, that's one of the places where sin has entered my life. You know, with parenting, it's very painful to be a parent because children don't have good manners. They're loud and they're messy. And when you are a father who just wants to sit on the couch and read a book, you're like, who can I pay to solve this problem? You know? but you have your own version of this, you know? I saw another hand. I think we have a couple more minutes. Yeah. What's the point in addressing someone's suffering and trying to comfort them if, if suffering is something that we think is not um, appropriate? Uh, what, what do you mean by not appropriate? Well, if if we're saying if someone is suffering why do we feel that we need to address their suffering and comfort them cuz it, it is it is a real thing uh and um it, it would be, it would be an unloving thing i would say to not um to to not express concern for their suffering are you disagreeing with what i'm saying no i'm trying to you're okay uh, and and again, like I said, we have a God who's done the, the the same for us. And I mean, you can provide secular. I mean, a lot of secular people are good at this. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they might even be better at this than us. Um, but we also have a God who's provided us a very good model of of um, of entering our our pain and suffering together with us. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. One last. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, that one. Things that's always meant a lot to me is on this question is if somebody brings this up, depending depending on the circumstances in the person, you might say, "Well, what's the most evil thing that ever happened?" Ever the crucifixion of Christ. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that came up the first time um, we met, and um, that's that's a very good point to end on. Remember, um, one of the. Um, things that I recommend we do, I I think this could be part of sort of being an apologist of the cross, is when people raise these, any of these types of concerns, to actually just go ahead and up the ante as far as possible for them. And that's the, like, what's the worst thing that has ever happened, for example. Um, So saying, you know, Yeah, that's a terrible thing. But let me tell you about evil that we killed, that 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 you and I killed God. (laughs) Just to go ahead and and throw it out there. You may let's just let's just get let's get to the the heart of the matter rather than sort of speaking trivially or sympathetically. um, But whenever possible, to to try to sort of up the ante for people. Um, so that we can really uh, uh, address the problem in a very powerful and meaningful way. Uh, and so yeah, absolutely so going to the cross and saying this is the worst thing that's ever happened that, that we participated in God's execution. You and I were there even though we weren't physically, we, we were as part of humanity. Well, uh, I've enjoyed this. Um, if, if, if you uh, sign the um, clipboard, if can I get that back by the way, whoever has that <laughs> you want to pass that? Uh, um, if, if you uh, sign this, I may be in touch with you again for uh, potential future uh, training opportunities in evangelism. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you God. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting,